2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 15, and you can find this on page 1173 of the Pew Bibles. Sowing generously. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have scattered abroad their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies need to the sower, seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, people will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you, because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Colin, don't go away just yet. Joe, before you um, preach, let's pray for you. And uh, why don't you as a congregation, as we're wanting God to speak through him, just stretch out your hand towards Joe now as we pray for him before he preaches. Father, we give you thanks for the ministry of the word. We thank you for all the years of training and thinking and prayer that Joe has put into his studies and into his preparation. We pray today that you'll anoint him by your spirit, that you'll hold him close to you and help him to speak from your heart. And will you prepare our hearts to hear the message that you want to give us through him? So we commit ourselves in these next few minutes into your hands giving thanks for Joe and all that he will bring to us from your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Chris. No pressure there, then. (laughs) Oh, dear me. Well, by the grace of God, go I. I've been been here nearly, Sean and I have been here for nearly 15 years now, and uh, we've seen a great deal of change in all that time, as one church warden put it, and I've opposed every one. But we have actually been able to see a huge amount of transformation and the way that God has worked has been quite remarkable. We are not the same church as we were then because God's Spirit has been uh, let loose and there's a great deal more to come. But I want to try and use the flip chart here to try and draw something of what we've witnessed. I want to try and draw a heart being enlarged. So I'll need extra prayers for this. But 
It was Archbishop Rowan Williams who talked about God being in the business of enlarging hearts. And I want to ask you, without uh, embarrassing anybody, but I just want people to shout out a few things there we've seen God enlarging our hearts. What has God given us a heart for as a church? I remember when we came, and Sean and I came, there was a real heart. I'm going to have to move. Sorry to put my back to you here. A real heart for mission. There was a real sense of people wanting to serve not only people in this country, but abroad. And there was a whole lot of stuff going abroad, and haze of mission and all sorts of things that were happening then. So it was a heart for mission. But then other things started to happen that developed and enlarged our heart as a church for uh, other ways of expressing God's love. Who would like to identify one or two things, uh, one thing that, that people have been given a heart for? Francis. Welcoming, that's right. There was a real heart then for opening up the church so that more people could feel a sense of acceptance and joy in coming and being part of a a church that has a community that reaches out to others. Cap Cap and poverty, that's right. God gave a real heart. Martin Brown and myself were gripped by this call of God and then Sally Bartram also had that heart for, uh, for God to work among people who are in debt, and that's gone on with other people since then. So that was another enlarging of the heart of this church. Dave? Haven House, absolutely, up in Staple Hill, developing, again, an outreach into the community, and there was a bigger heart for that. So God's enlarging our heart. Another thing? Sorry? Purpose, absolutely. It was a real purpose beginning to emerge. And we had a vision statement which was around um, not learning to live the life at that time. It was about... Um, <laughs> what? Up in and out, that's right. It was about transforming relationships, building relationships up in and out. So we had a great a vision. And then that vision became uh, developed into a place where we were learning to live the life, not only on, uh, in our own lives you know, as a church, but also on our front lines. And so that vision had discipleship at the heart of it. So discipleship became a really key message. David? Youth and young people. So that discipleship was spreading out to our young people and our children so that they too might discover how to grow in Christ and develop their relationship with him and to serve him in the mission field. Richard? Home groups, absolutely, home groups. In fact, we had a phrase, didn't we? Home groups at the heart, which was a really important way of developing a sense of community in the small, which wasn't so easy in the, in the, in the big. So that was another enlarging of our hearts. And about, at one point, about 70% of our church, which was smaller then, was in home groups. Anything else? That's right, all these, the international development of things around there. Okay. And one thing I've noticed recently particularly is uh, through this ministry that Helen's been had, adding, uh, heading up with creative media, we've got a much bigger presence now, I think, in the community through Facebook, through uh, the social media stuff, and now down in voice, if you've seen that with our picture of the angel on the front and whole sense of uh, engaging in the community through prayer and serving the community with, with down-end soup and all that sort of stuff. But that's enlarging 
our reach in our community through our, our media. And evangelism is happening not only through things like Alpha, but also in that way too. So we could go on, but do you see how God is, is, you know, we might say we're a busy church, but we've got many different people doing different things that God is giving a heart for. And it's not that we are uh, sort of busy, 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 busy all the time. It's just that God is giving people a sense of, of vision, of purpose, and his calling so that we, he can expand and grow our hearts as a church, as a body. Now, this is very significant when it comes to thinking about the way in which St. Paul is teaching the Christians in Corinth. He's thanking God for the way that their heart is being enlarged. He's enlarged their hearts for the Macedonian, uh, for the church in Jerusalem. He's given them the example of the Macedonian church whose heart was so huge, he said, that out of severe trial and extreme poverty, there was an overflowing joy that welled up and expressed itself in rich generosity. So their hearts were getting big to help those in poverty and in need. And that dynamic was seen in the grace-filled life of Jesus, who though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he writes to them, became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So the example of Jesus and his sacrificial love becomes an inspiration and a, a growth point for their hearts. And the Christians in Corinth then became eager to help those who were suffering famine in Jerusalem. And they were experiencing the joy of hearts being enlarged by the grace of God. They were caught up in the overflow of God's grace. It was the Spirit of God who was at work in them and through them. And this grace outpouring was something that they were finding just brought them alive. This dynamic was so important that it was something that Nigel touched on, and this is fundamental to, I think, all of our understanding of what St. Paul is wanting to communicate. And it's part of what Jesus communicated in his Sermon on the Mount. And you'll remember Nigel, when he was preaching about this, uh, made a, 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 very, a very vivid analogy of uh, the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee isn't that dissimilar to the shape I've just drawn. It's not totally topographical, top, topographical uh, in its illustration, but it's quite similar to a heart, isn't it? But when you think about it, Nigel point Nigel made was that the Sea of Galilee is alive with fish and wildlife and everything else, drinking water, because there is an inn from a river going in, ambers and out, the river Jordan that flows out. And so it's alive because there's an in and there's a flow out. There's a flow in and a flow out. But of course, what the point that Nigel made was that after the Jordan River goes down into the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea is dead because it doesn't have any out. It stops. Now this is the the grace of God pictured for us. It needs to have an inflow and it needs to have an outflow to be living. It's true also of another thing that all of us have inside us, which is a bit more like this, I think. <laughs> and 
that pumps because blood comes into it. It's red, usually, because there's a lot of blood in it. And there's a lot of uh, blood that comes in through a, a, a big artery and a big valve that pumps in that way. And then there is also an out. Please, if anybody's medical students, this is not technically to scale. But looking at my understanding on the internet, the out doesn't come out here. It comes out through some, somehow through here, and it goes out there. But anyway, it goes out and into the... <laughs> sorry. It's, George has probably studied this very carefully at school. But the fact is that it does have an out. It has an in and an out. And that's why we're alive. If either the in or the out stops, is stopped or blocked, then we die. That's why there is such a huge emphasis in the scriptures about the condition of our hearts. There needs to be that, both that movement in and out. And St. Paul writes about this very clearly. Remember this, he says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly on the compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and in all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So what he's saying here is that if there is a healthy giving, there is also a healthy receiving. Because if there's one thing that stops us giving, is a block to our giving, is not poverty. It's not because we haven't got enough money to give. We've already seen that the Macedonian church, out of their poverty, gave richly. The reason that I'm stopped in giving generously is that I don't fully trust God to provide all my needs. I don't trust him fully. But I know that the more I can trust him, the more generous I can be. It's trust that is the barrier to free and generous, joyful giving. This is something which is a huge challenge to us as human beings because we naturally want to hold on to what we have because we think, oh, we can't give, whether it's time, we haven't got enough time, I haven't got enough time, or I haven't got the gifts, I haven't got the skills, I don't know how to do it, or I haven't got the money to give in that way because we aren't in a place of maturity enough to trust that God is Jehovah Jireh. He is our faithful provider. But once we can begin to move more fully into that place, giving becomes a joy, a liberating and massively rewarding experience when we see the effects. Paul writes, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness or the, the joy of giving the amount that you are able to enter into that outflow of grace. He will provide for every need because of his faithfulness. All I have needed, your hand has provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. 
So he will supply all our needs, says St. Paul, so we can be free in our giving. I found this very simple truth to be very liberating. And so I'm working not so much on what I can give, but what I can receive from God. Receiving the faith to trust Him every step of the way. What St. Paul says is very crucial to understanding how we can begin to experience the grace of God ourselves and to open our hearts. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Love, God loves it when we are free to give. So he says, decided in your heart to give. He doesn't say anything here about how much we are to give. But he says, decide in your own heart. Now the word that Paul uses in the Greek for heart, or translated into the Greek, is cardia, which we had cardiology from, of course, but it is nothing to do with emotions. Sometimes we say, oh, you know, my heart's telling me something and my head's saying something else. For their thinking in those days, the heart was the place of decision-making. It was where everything about the person came in the human, mature approach to decision-making. It was the heart. And so when Paul says, each of you should decide, give what you have decided in your heart to give, he's talking about planned giving and prioritized giving. And this is absolutely crucial in order to enter into the dynamic of grace, that things are planned and prioritized. And then we will find the joy welling up inside us. Let me give you a very simple example. When we were over in the Brecon... When we were over in the Brecon Beacons uh, a couple of weekends ago, we planned on the Friday evening what, where we were going to go for our walk the following day. And we looked at the map, we saw a beautiful route, it was about six or seven miles, and we followed it round and planned it out, and we made it our top priority when we got up on the Saturday morning, that's what we were going to do. Took some soup, took some rolls, took some enough to keep my diabetic control correct, and we just went and absolutely loved it. Now, if next Saturday, we were up in the Brecon Beacons, and I was just settling down to, uh, it's next Sunday actually, next Sunday, settling down to watch uh, a, a rugby international that's being played in Italy. And Sean said to me, Joe, I really think it'd be great, we need to go for a walk. Come on, let's go, I'm all ready. I would um, not be best pleased. And I would feel, oh. And I would be, to say the least, reluctant to go on that. Maybe the same walk, but I would be very reluctant in my giving that time to that walk. And it would be an absolute pain. And I'd get home and I'd think, oh. So, that teaches me something. That prioritizing and planning how we give our time can result in joyful giving. Doing it sort of like under compulsion or because we ought to 
or because we haven't prioritised or planned it, can result in a real sort of frustration. And that's not really what I want. So that's why Paul says it's really important. He says, remember this. This is my point, is another way of putting it. This is my point. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. It's a choice between exhilaration and frustration. And that's why the Giving for Life team wants to take forward this biblical teaching about prioritizing and planning. It's not how much we give, it's the percentage of what we receive that goes into our thinking and decision-making. God is a God who just wants us to honor him with our wealth. There it is in the, in the Bible. With all the ways we spend our time, our talents, and our treasure. But he wants us to honor him first. And so the simple principle of making a decision that puts first our how much we're going to give. And that how much we're going to give is based on a percentage of what our income is. Paul teaches that earlier in this letter. You give according to how much you've received and what you're able to by identifying a percentage. Nigel talked about 10%. We might not be able to do that. Our faith isn't big enough to uh, recognize that God might supply, will supply all our needs. So we might start with 1%. But never should we think, oh, I'm going to give £10, I'm going to give £100 this month. It's always in relation to how, what percentage we are able to give of our giving, of our income. And it's up to us. God's given us the grace to decide how to do that. And to do it in a planned way implies we can do it through standing orders, primarily, or through envelopes, not just putting money on the plate. We're honouring God by doing that, and we're releasing the grace of giving. We sow to grow. We invest in the things that really matter to God, to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We sow to, into that which we want to see grow in the kingdom, but we also find that as we sow, our hearts will grow. It's an incredible thing that if we want to grow spiritually, we can sow liberally. And God enlarges our hearts and gives us joy in it and a sense of being part of his movement of love and grace toward the world. It's no wonder that St. Paul concludes his teaching with the exclamation, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, that supreme sacrificial gift of Jesus. The outpouring of grace that is there displayed on the cross. So let's be still for a moment as we pray. And the worship group are going to come and lead us into a song that we can respond to in that way. Father, we are in awe of the way that you have enlarged our hearts, both individually and as a church over the years. We thank you for those coming new to this church who are bringing a, a fresh sense of your purpose and a heart for the things you would have us be involved in now. Thank you that your desire is to pour in your grace, that 
we might pour it out on others. And Lord, our prayer is that we might grow in a way maybe we've never done before and allow your blessings to reach out to others in a way that they may praise you and thank you for all that you've done for them in and through Jesus. Amen.